Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Hi, Pastor Dean. Oh, hi, Allie. How are you today? I'm good. What you working on? I'm working on my message for this morning. That's cool. What's your message about? It's about God's redeeming love. Um, Allie? Yes? Do you know what the word redeeming means? Yeah. Hello? <laughs> this message this morning is on God's redeeming love. And, um, Allie, do you, you know what the word redeeming means? Of course. I'm not a little kid anymore. Okay, well, today's message is on God's redeeming love. And so, how, Allie, how would you describe God's redeeming love? God's redeeming love. Let me see. Oh, I know. Give me just a second. Allie, do you have God's redeeming love in your purse? Very funny. I just have to find it. Here it is. Look at this. It's a Starbucks gift card. Exactly. Allie, do you drink coffee? No. Then why do you have a Starbucks gift card? Well, I don't like coffee, but I do like a mocha frappuccino. Oh, okay. I, I still don't get it. Pastor Dean, the Starbucks card is what my teacher calls an object lesson. The manager saw me taking care of my brother and sisters so my mom could get the order together. He told me he was the oldest in his family growing up and that he had to watch after his siblings. Then he handed me that gift card for free. Okay, and then you can use this card and redeem it for a mocha frappuccino. Right, and then I do my happy dance. Okay, I, I got you. But how is that like God's redeeming love? Bless your heart, Pastor Dean. <laughs> God is like the manager. He's good and kind. He sees that we're struggling and loves us and wants to help. Okay, I'm following you, but what about the card? Do you know about the Sunday school answer? The Sunday school answer? Yeah, you see, whenever there's a question in church that you don't know, the best answer is always Jesus. Oh, yeah. So the card... So the card is Jesus. He's the one who redeems us, and his ways are so much better and full of blessings. Blessings like mocha frappuccinos. Right, and you know what the best part is? No, what? The best part is that it's for free, just like my gift card. It's a gift. Wow, yes. Allie, that will preach. Um, would you mind if I used your card for my message this morning? Um, yeah, but I'm going to need that back. Oh, absolutely, right after the service. Okay, I'll be praying for you. Thanks, Allie. Bless his heart. Hello? It keeps going to mute when I put it in my pocket. All right, carefully. Carefully. There. Okay. I appreciate Allie praying for me. I hope you're praying for me this morning. Oh, my goodness. That's it. Well, today's message is going to be on God's redeeming love. And how about the beautiful and talented Allie Coleman? Come on. You know, from in our church, from our, our college age all the way down to our river kids, we have an incredible group of young people. Thank you. 
Y'all are awesome. Awesome. And thank you, moms and dads, for bringing your kiddos to church. You know, it's, it's like Joe's message last weekend. And there's the house built on sand, and there's the house built on the rock. And when you're bringing your family, your children to church, you are building on that rock. When you're coming to church, that's where your foundation is. So when the storms of life come, you can be shaken but not destroyed. So I'm filling in for Pastor Joe today. He's still here. He had a much-deserved week off. He got to do some construction project with Taylor, doing some manly things. And in my family, I'm known as the non-handyman. Yeah, kind of handyman impaired, you know, and... My brother got all that. I guess he got the handyman gene. And now my beautiful wife, Melanie, doesn't want me on a ladder unless there's somebody watching me. She said, I have to go to the store so you can't clean out the gutter. I'm like, well, my feet, the soles of my feet are only going to be three feet off the ground. She says, well, go next door and tell Gerard you're going to be on the ladder so he can look out for you. I said, sure, I'm going to ring the doorbell, and Gerard's going to come out, and I'm going to say, hey, Gerard, I'm going to be on the back deck cleaning out my gutter. Could you watch out for me? And here's my man card. <laughs> it, it gets worse. Just, just the other week, we're changing light bulbs, can lights. How hard is that? And, you know, some of them are up in the ceiling, so I've got, you know, the pole thingamajig. That's the technical term, thingamajig. It's not a whatchamacallit, it's a thingamajig. And anyway, I'm trying to get them out, and, you know, I'm th- and we're pulling them out and changing it out. We'll get in one part of the house, and it's high. So we had to get the ladder out, even with the pole. And I'm on the second step, which is apparently a danger zone for me. <laughs> the Melanie's back there behind me, and I can't get this one light out. You just, it just won't come. You know, and I pull the pole down. And I'm a little bit discouraged, a little bit frustrated, and I look back at Melanie, my dear sweet, wave your hand, this is this Melanie right here, my dear sweet, <laughs> beautiful, supportive wife, she looks at me and she goes, Lefty Lucy, <laughs> Lefty Lucy, as if in my 60 years of life, I have never quite figured out which way to unscrew a light bulb. Anyway, we got to get back. Where, where am I at? Let's see. Adam, Eve, Abraham, Sarah, Moses and Mrs. Moses. Okay, we're on God's redeeming love. And we're going to look at an object lesson. Allie brought us an object lesson, but we're going to look at an object lesson that the Lord himself gave us from the book of Hosea. So we're going to primarily be in the book of Hosea, but also in First and Second Kings, and we'll, we'll bounce around. But in a nutshell, Hosea is the Old Testament prophet that God asked to marry a woman to be, would be unfaithful to him to demonstrate how the nation of Israel had been unfaithful to God. So let me give you just a little bit of the context of the time period that Hosea is living in. This is a bleak time in Israel. Hosea's living in a divided kingdom. There's a southern kingdom and there's a northern kingdom. And this is about 200 years after that split. And in the northern kingdom, it's also called Ephraim or Jacob. And there are 10 tribes in the north and two tribes in the south. And in the south is where Jerusalem is and the temple. So 
Hosea starts his ministry under a king, a bad king, called Jeroboam II. So let's pick up here in 2 Kings uh, chapter 14, verses 23 through 24. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned for 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. So we see that Jeroboam the second is evil in the sight of the Lord. And all these northern kings, there's this phrase that comes up again and again, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it all stems back to this first Jeroboam, this Jeroboam son of Nebat. And Jeroboam son of Nebat was the very first king of the northern kingdom. And he wanted to secure his reign in the northern kingdom. So let's take a little bit, let's go back to 1 Kings and read about this Jeroboam son of Nebat. This is 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 27 through 29. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. So he wants to secure his kingdom, and he's afraid if they keep going to Jerusalem and to the temple there, they're going to turn back to Rehoboam, who's Solomon's son. And if you remember the story, they came to Rehoboam after Solomon died, and they said, hey, you know, your father was pretty hard on us, you know, and if you'll just lighten the load, how, how are you going to reign? And he says, let me get back to you. And he goes to the old wise advisors and they say, you know, your dad was pretty hard. So if you lighten the load a little bit, they'll serve you the rest of your time as king. But Rehoboam goes to these young advisors that he grew up with and they say, you know, they're just lazy. You tell them that you're going to be even tougher than your dad. And so when he did that, the kingdom split and this Jeroboam son of Nebat came in. So now Jeroboam Son of Nebat is afraid that they're going to turn back to Rehoboam. So he sets up these two golden calves in Bethel. And Dan says, hey, you don't have to go down to Jerusalem anymore. I've made it much more convenient for you. You can go here in Dan or you can go there in Bethel. Save some travel time, save some money. And the people agree to that. And so he leads them into this great sin because they were supposed to go to the temple in Jerusalem. And... Nobody at that time in all of Israel, or or maybe they did, but they had to think about their history. You know, there was a golden calf. You know, did nobody just go, I remember a golden calf. That was when we were in the desert and we'd been brought out of Egypt and we made this golden calf and we started worshiping and singing and sacrificing. It was when Moses was up on Mount Sinai And when he came down and saw that golden calf, he was so upset, he took the tablets, the Ten Commandments, and he broke them, dashed them to pieces. And then he destroyed that golden calf. In fact, he ground it into a powder, put it in the water, and made us drink it. And about 3,000 men died that day. 
That's the story of the golden calf. But we see the Israelites easily turning to this. So they're worshiping the Lord God of Israel and this golden calf. And then they even start to include the worship of Baal. Sacrificing and worshiping to Baal. So they were practicing syncretism, which is a fancy word that means they were combining religions. And additionally, Hosea lives in this time when the northern kingdom becomes increasingly unstable. It's politically unstable. Listen to this little timeline. So after Jeroboam II, his son Zechariah takes over. And his son Zechariah rules for only six months. Then he's assassinated by Shalom, the son of Jabesh. Shalom rules for one month. Then Menahem, the son of Gadi, kills Shalom. Menahem reigns for 10 years, and then his son takes over Pekiah, and he only rules for 10 years. Can you imagine living in the northern kingdom with all this going on, all these assassinations? And all these kings are doing evil in the sight of the Lord. The country is physically divided, politically unstable. The people are worshiping and sacrificing to idols. Have you ever heard that phrase, history repeats itself? You know, as we look at the fall of the Roman Empire, they had these evil emperors. It was political corruption. It was great sexual immorality. And in our country today, we have leaders that advocate for abortion, sexual immorality, transgenderism. And our nation worships and sacrifices to the idols of success and power and wealth and fame, the lust of the flesh. And we have our own brand of syncretism. Have you heard that all roads lead to heaven? So whether you're a Muslim or a Mormon, whether you're Buddhist or Christian or some combination of it, they all lead to heaven. All roads lead to heaven. But the truth, the truth is found in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So no matter what, we ta- what time we live in, God's truth is constant. It doesn't change. But in the midst of this northern kingdom of idol worship and blending of religions and political turmoil, the true God of Israel decides to give his people... Oh, tighten this down, sorry. An object lesson. So let's look at Hosea 1. 2 through 10. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, the land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. You know, if you read the Bible, it was hard to be an Old Testament prophet. You know, most were asked to deliver this message of warning or words of condemnation and judgment to evil kings. So there's this tension, there's this danger. And false prophets, they're out through the land and they're, they're preaching prosperity and wealth and victory. And many times the prophet of God is the only voice speaking against the culture. So their message from the Lord could cost them their life. But of these prophets, 
I really would not want the assignment that Hosea had. Lord, is there another way to give this message? I don't want to marry a woman who's going to be unfaithful to me. And we don't know if Gomer was promiscuous before marriage or if that simply happened after when they had children and she ended up committing adultery. But in my opinion, I do believe that Hosea sincerely and deeply loved Gomer because we know that the Lord God sincerely and deeply loved the children of Israel. You know, you've heard it said that the Bible is God's love letter to us. As an early Christian, I didn't really understand that because when I read the Scriptures, I kept seeing this group of people who kept messing up time and time again. But I was looking at it from my perspective. If you look at it from God's perspective, you see His faithfulness. That all through the Old Testament, He pursues and rescues His chosen people time and time again. He demonstrates His love, His mercy, His compassion, and forgiveness. And isn't it interesting that God chooses a husband and wife relationship to describe His relationship with Israel? It's not Israel and some distant God way up in the stratosphere. It's a husband and wife relationship, which is not distant. It's extremely intimate. It's one of the most intimate relationships that we can have. It's a covenant relationship, just like God's covenant with Israel. Israel is His bride. You know, my wife, Melanie, she, she knows that in the morning my breath doesn't smell so good. And she knows that pulling my finger is not a good idea. She knows all my faults and all my shortcomings, and yet she loves me anyway. God knows all our faults, all our shortcomings, all our sins, and yet He loves us anyway. Which brings me to my first point, God is love. God is love. Love is God's very nature. He doesn't love us when He's in a good mood or when we've been obedient or even when we praise Him. God loves us all the time, constantly, and His love is unconditional. Look with me at Hosea 2, verses 19 through 20. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. You know, the best way to describe this unconditional love is the way a parent loves their child. Or that we, we have Mother's Day coming up next weekend, the way a mother loves her children. And you know mama loves you, you know? And, and that child can mess up. You know, they can take a dark path. They can get involved in drugs. They can end up in jail. They can cause her great worry great pain, and yet she loves them with all her heart. Or the way a grandparent loves their grandchild. Now, I know that one firsthand because I am a new grandfather, and I am that crazy grandfather now that will hunt you down and show you videos and pictures of my granddaughter, Stella. Isn't she the cutest? Come on, look at that face. Man, I love that baby girl. I tell you what, and I, I love to spoil her. 
I love to give her gifts. Melanie and I will be out. We're like, we got to get that. We, we got to get that for Stella. I love to hear her laugh. I even like to watch her sleep. But you know, as much as we love our children and as much as a grandparent, I love my granddaughter, I know that God loves them even more and even more deeply. It's who He is. Look with me in Hosea 11 as he describes himself as a father. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to feed them. God is saying to Israel, I love you just like you love your children, just like you take care of them. So let's move on in the story of Hosea. Now, Gomer has left Hosea for another man. She's been enticed into sin and into adultery. She's walked away from her first love and she's broken her covenant relationship with Hosea. Now, we don't know the factors that led Gomer down this path. We don't know if maybe she suffered trauma or she had some abuse as a child, but she's lured away and now she's living in the guilt and shame of her situation. And imagine how Hosea felt. You know, he's... He's the one that's been betrayed. He has that anguish and rejection. Some here today may have felt betrayed, may have no betrayal. And you know firsthand that gut-wrenching pain, the anger and confusion, to doubt yourself, to think, maybe I could have done something differently. Or to think, am I not pretty enough? Am I not handsome enough? Am I not fun enough? And then how can I ever trust again? And imagine now how God felt when he rescued his children from Egypt and performed mighty miracles and fought for them and gives them a land flowing with milk and honey. A God who entered a covenant relationship with his people only to be betrayed, to have the covenant broken and his people worshiping and sacrificing to idols who can do nothing for them. And knowing that this sin is going to lead them to terrible consequences if they don't repent. And God's heart is for his people. He wants them to turn from their sin. So in the midst of this betrayal and this sin, God continues his object lesson with Hosea. Look with me at Hosea 3.1. The Lord said to me, go, show love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. You see that love? Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. You know, we don't know how much time has passed, whether it's been a couple of months or years. And it's not Gomer who returns who seeks out Hosea or begs forgiveness. And I imagine at this time that Gomer felt like her former life was gone, that there was no coming back, 
that she could never be restored to that life again. But God says to Hosea, go, love her again. So Hosea moves towards Gomer, seeking her out, even while she's deep in sin and adulterous. My second point, God's love pursues us. God's love pursues us. God says to Hosea, go and find the woman who's betrayed you and hurt you and broken this covenant of marriage. Show love to her again. Love your wife just as I love the Israelites who've betrayed me and turned to other gods and are deep in sin. And Hosea doesn't tell us how he felt. A lot of the book is poetry. But I would think it had to be difficult for Hosea at this point. You know, he's a man of God, a prophet, a seer. What are the people going to think about me seeking out the woman who's turned her back on me and our children? And she's living with another man. How can I love her again? Do I even want her back after she's been with another man? But God calls Hosea to love even when it's difficult to love. And God calls us to love even when it's hard to love. And where did he go to find her? Did, did he know where she was at? What, what part of town did he have to go to? Did he have to go to that part of town, the bad part of the town? Did he have someone saying, prophet, what are you doing here? Do you know where you're at? He says, I'm, I'm looking for my wife. I'm looking for Gomer. Do you know where she is? Oh, yeah, Gomer. Um, well, she was down at the house at the end of the block with a guy. I, I don't know if they're still there, but you might start there to find her. And hey, I, I heard what happened, Hosea. I'm, I'm sorry. So Hosea continues until he finds her. And what about Gomer? I don't think she expected to see Hosea. She's found by her husband while she's deep in sin. And we don't know at this point what kind of shape she's in. You know, was she with the same man or she had been passed around or was she in prostitution at this time? But can you imagine the shame, the guilt, the condemnation that she feels? She may be asking herself, Hosea, why are you here? Are you, are you here to have me stoned? To make an example of me? He can't love me. Not after everything that I've done. But we read on in Hosea 3, 2 through 3. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. So Hosea buys Gomer's freedom. The 15 shekels and the omer and the lethic of barley, at that time, theologians estimate that would have been the price to purchase a female slave. It cost Hosea to buy Gomer's freedom. And she'd done nothing to deserve it. Hosea bought her in obedience to God and as an act of love. My third point, God's love redeems us. God is love. And even though we don't deserve it, when we're deep in sin, God pursues us and he redeems us. You know, theologians have different opinions. Some say that Hosea did not need to buy Gomer back, that after all, he was his wife. 
Others say that he bought her out of slavery, while others still say at this point it was much more likely that he bought her out of prostitution. But whatever it was, the theologians all agree that Hosea went the extra mile in purchasing Gomer. And time and time again, God goes the extra mile. He does it with the Israelites to redeem his people, and he does it with us. And look at the last part of that verse, Hosea 3.3. You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. Hosea enters back into a covenant relationship with Gomer. I'm going to love you as your husband. And we're going to put the past away. You're going to turn away, Gomer, from your sins. And Gomer's going to do that in her heart. And now she's going to be restored as her position as the wife of a prophet, as the mother of her children. My fourth and last point is that God's love restores us. God's love restores us. Have you ever had a time in your life when you thought it's all over, that you'd never recover? Maybe a time of great loss or maybe a time when you'd wandered away and ended up in a sin that took you farther than you thought it would. And now you're facing the consequences of that sin. In our church at River Bluff, I've seen so many times where we've had people come here to heal We've had people that were involved in the ministry that said, I think God's done with me, only to be redeemed and restored and active in ministry again. And church should be that type of place where you're loved and accepted and you're able to be journeyed with to grow into all that God has for you. I'm one who've experienced that at River Bluff. You know, there's a, there's a speaker on the YouVersion Bible app. I don't know if you guys do the YouVersion Bible app, but I love it. I do Bible plans. And they have a verse of the day. And on this verse of the day, they had a speaker, and her name was Tony Collier. And Tony Collier has written a Christian children's book, and it's called Broken Crayons Still Color. Broken Crayons Still Color. I love that because that is such a picture of the Christian life. You see, Homer... I'm Homer. I was, when I, I combine Hosea, Gomer, Homer. Hosea, Hosea is asked to portray God's love. And Gomer represents the Israelites. But who's Gomer? I'm Gomer. We're Gomer. We're all Gomers in some way. And yet God can still use us. We are those broken crayons that can still color. About six years ago, I received my master's degree in pastoral counseling, and I'm a pastoral counselor here at the church and been doing that for a good while. Leading up to that, I had an internship program in Cindy Shirley and discipleship program. I did that. But I could also get additional hours if I would go to a ministry. And my focus in pastoral counseling was addictions. So I went to a ministry in Monk's Corner and toured there. It's called uh, Change Lives Ministries that helps men come out of drug and alcohol addiction. I was able to do some Bible studies and gain those hours for my internship. But there was also another program in Atlanta, and it was two college friends of mine that got married, Greg and Carol Smith. And they became involved in a ministry that freed men from drug and alcohol abuse. And it was a year-long program, and it's called No Longer Bound. 
And so I began supporting each of those. Not, I'm not rich, so just little small donations. But Carol reached out to me to thank me for my donation, and she sent me a video clip. And Cheryl, if you can bring that up, I'd just like y'all to watch this clip real quick. My name, My name is Edward Choi. I came to the program in 2017. I lived very, even at a young age, recklessly. From the minute I took my first drink to my first substance, it was something that was filling that void of never feeling good enough. I continued to put myself in situations that allowed my addiction to continually grow. When I was in my 30s, married, two kids, I was still doing the things I was doing when I was a teenager and in my 20s. My wife, Heather, at the time did have the conversation with me of, you're not only affecting me, but you're affecting your children. I woke up from a pretty good bender and she was gone. Kids were gone, she was gone. We got divorced and I continued to use, I continued to drink. I'd never been fired from a job before and I thought there was no way that they were going to drug test me because I am, you know, this, this great chef. 47 years of age, found myself moving back in with my mom. I overdosed in 2017 at my mother's house. Pastor Mike came and saw me at the hospital. And the question was asked, what are you going to do? If you really want change in your life, what are you really gonna do? I know what my addiction has looked like for the past you know, 30 something years with all the same outcomes that I had no hope. We were talking options. Is there a better way? Can life get better? There was a 30 day program, a 90 day program, and then there was this year long program. Like it was super extreme. So out of defiance, just defiance. I told them, fine, you know, I'll go to No Longer Bound. We're pulling up to No Longer Bound and walking over to me, six, seven, eight guys, and surrounding me. I felt accepted. I felt relief, I felt safe. I felt hope, I felt loved. It's the first time that another man came over and, and gave me a hug, told me that they were proud of me. And I'm like, bro, do you even know what I've done? As I continue to open up more, I started to feel that, that my past wasn't going to be how people were going to remember me. There was nothing more I wanted in my life was to share with my children what the Lord was doing. There is a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. My son, you know, that's my dude, you know, he didn't want all the details. Annalise was a little bit different. She was definitely wounded. And the Lord said to me, it's never too late. One day my daughter called me and I know now that my daughter's forgiven me. Tell me he can't do it because he answered every single prayer in his time. Life after No Longer Bound is freedom. The first 30 years of my career was based on me. What the Lord has shown me is to put myself behind the cross. My wife and I started a very small company. I get to go into people's personal homes as a personal chef, serving them, and then share what God has done in my life. 
I mean, I know what's in a song someplace. Like, I don't know what the day is going to bring, but I know who brings the day. When I um, wrote to No Longer Bound, and wrote to my friend Carol, and I said, would it be okay if I used that clip in my message this morning? And it was a resounding yes, of course. She said, but Ed has one condition. And that condition is that God gets all the credit. I said, I can do that. Because you know, God loves us. God pursues us. God redeems us. And God restores us. You know, I know that there may be someone here this morning that's struggling. Maybe you have an impossible situation or some hidden sin, some kind of great loss. But God loves to redeem and restore. And as a church, we want to help you in any way we can. But we know that God can do so much more than we can. We can offer this community and a place that accepts you and loves you, and a ministry that wants to journey with you and see you restored and into all that God desires for you. And I want you to remember Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. I'm going to ask the worship team if they can start making their way to the stage. And as we worship together this morning... I want to encourage you to visit our crosses. You know, if you need prayer, we've got prayer warriors on each side to pray with you. Or you may just want to go to the table. We have little slips of paper and we have pens there. You can write out a prayer request and nail that to the cross. Or maybe this week you just need to talk to somebody you trust. I'm available. I know Joe would be available. Most of the leaders in our church We'd love to talk with you. God's redeeming love. Gomer was proof of that. Ed Shoy is proof of that. I am proof of that. You see, Hosea represents God. Gomer represents us. And the Redeemer, the Redeemer is Jesus. Jesus is the one that paid that cost, that high price for all of us. And in Jesus, in Christ, there is complete forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west. I love John 3.16 and 3.17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And oh, that verse 17. For God did not send His Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. I know sometimes we feel condemned. You know, earlier I mentioned abortion, and there are women that felt they were in a possible situation, that were pressured by family or a boyfriend, and went through with that process, and then they walk with this great guilt, this great shame and condemnation, and the Lord does not want that for them. He doesn't want any of us to walk in that way. So no matter what's happened in your life, what you struggle with, 
what hidden sin you have, you're not condemned. God loves you. He's pursuing you. His desire is to redeem and restore you, to bless you. And if you've not made that decision to accept Jesus as your Savior, I would love to talk with you, but I encourage you to settle that today. And it's as easy as saying, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that you came 2,000 years ago and you paid the price at Calvary. You died on that cross and your shed blood covers me. And I know that you went to the tomb and you rose again. And I can have a relationship with you that I can serve you the rest of my life as my Lord and Savior. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for being that great Redeemer. And Lord, I've experienced your redemption, your restoration in my life. And Father, I thank you that inside your love, there's acceptance. Inside your love, there's no condemnation. Inside your love, there's rest and peace and healing. So Father, I pray the day that your, your presence is here, that your love is felt in this room. Lord, that we walk into that. Lord, whatever's on our heart, that we give that to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.